0: I visit the mother tree, you have to climb it through these stairs and go all the way up. I've slept up there on the platform twice. And when you're up there, you look down on the canopy below you and it's hard to see two trees that are similar This is The Butterfly Effect, a podcast that shows the big impact a small action can do. Tali Orad is talking to those
1: special people that make a difference with nature and trees. Welcome everyone to The Butterfly Effect. My name is Tali Orad. I'm your host and your butterfly here. My special guest today is Nyanta Spellman. Nyanta is the founder and CEO of Rainforest Partnership, an impact-driven international nonprofit that uses the power of community-centered collaboration to protect rainforests, a critical component in the global climate crisis, in some of the most critical places on Earth for biodiversity and climate. Founded in 2007, Rainforest Partnership works to solve the challenge of deforestation by centering the needs of those on the front lines of rainforest, indigenous people, and local communities to create effective and long-lasting conversations outcome. In 2021 alone, the organization efforts led to durable protection and restoration of 1.16 million acres of rainforest in Peru, Ecuador, and along the Peru-Brazil border. A native Tanzania, Nianta attended boarding school in India and received a BA from the University of Texas-Dallas, and an MPAFF in environmental policy from LBJ of Public Affairs. Prior to funding Rainforest Partnership in 2007, her career path included work at the first lobbying firm in London, leading management consultancy, and working with Texas environmental agencies as part of legislative agency. Welcome, Nianta, to The Butterfly Effect.
0: Thank you so much, Tali. Lovely to be here.
1: I would love for us to start with the forest. What is the role of the rainforest in our ecological system?
0: So first of all, you know, this green planet that we live on, it was a barren planet like others, right? Mm -hmm. But it was once the greening happened, the trees came and created the climate that we have today, that we have this blossoming of humanity and everything else that coexists with us. Mm -hmm. But today... These forests, they make up just 3% of the surface area of our planet, and yet they're so disproportionately important to the uh, well-being of our humanity. And that's because they regulate our climate, they regulate our water cycle, they hold more than 50% of our biodiversity. Mm-hmm. They provide our um, their sources of our medicine. They are sources of livelihood. And if you think about something like just the Amazon alone, it is home to 400 different indigenous peoples speaking 300 different indigenous language with some of them completely distinct cultures. And so the sort of human and cultural diversity as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so these forests are really, really important and they hold carbon. They're they're incredible carbon storage. They are also the first line of defense in terms of responding to climate change.
1: You specifically mentioned rainforest. Is there a difference between the rainforest versus, I don't know, a regular forest I can see close to my home?
0: I'm talking here about tropical rainforests as opposed to temperate rainforests. You know, we have temperate rainforests. Um, they're gorgeous. They're beautiful. You have these amazing towering Trees with a lot of sheer volume, uh, but they only have a few species of trees. Like what you have, if you've ever been to Washington or British Columbia and gone along and looked at those amazing temperate rainforests. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what we're talking about is tropical rainforests along the tropics, the Amazon in Central Africa, in Southeast Asia, in Australia, and other parts of the world as well and these forests you know are so biodiverse tropical rainforests host somewhere between 70 and 80% of our plant and tree species they are basically you know they are the concentration of biodiversity because if you think about the plants and trees to have that kind of biodiversity then can you imagine everything else all the way down from primates to microbes that are part of that ecosystem right there are these ecosystems that are complex they're contained and uh they're also quite well not quite they're just magical and beautiful (laughs) Uh, if you know the, the, the the sort of energy of the forest is something completely different and you know if you ask me there's all sorts of amazingly incredibly important reasons for protecting them right but for me it would also be because of how magical they are not just because we as humanity need them
1: needs them yeah and they are in danger in danger so we do need to protect them and most of the reasons they are in danger are actually due to people
0: so in my lifetime and I like saying this because you can't see me now, but in my lifetime, nearly my lifetime, in the last 60-some years, we have deforested half of these tropical rainforests. And when we do that, we do it at our own peril, right? To me, it's like we're sitting on the very branch that we're cutting uh, cutting off. So why, why are they under threat? Why do we cut them? It's all sorts of different things and depending on the place. It is because we want to put massive cattle ranches. We want to take the forests out and, you know, replace them for grass to feed cows. Mm -hmm. We want to put soybean and corn, often to create biofuels or to feed the cows and the chickens and the salmon who shouldn't be they shouldn't be eating corn in the first place because that's not uh-huh. how we evolved. We palm oil is another one I mean, losing so much forest for palm oil. And in the last two decades, you know, palm oil is part of basically you go to a supermarket and somewhere between 50 and 70 percent of products in a supermarket will have some fraction of palm oil in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do it, you know, for extracting oil and minerals So, you know, whether it is the sad, the tragedy of the Amazon is it also sits, parts of it, not everywhere, parts of it sit on some really rich reserves of petroleum. Mm -hmm. Or in Central Africa, they sit on rich reserves of rare minerals, which, as you know, we need for our phones and our laptops and everything else that we rely on to run our lives in this modern day and age and so but there's something else though Tally, and that is there's enough deforested land to do whatever we need to serve humanity in our current needs we do not need to deforest anymore in fact we can go to preserving what's there and start restoring and regenerating because we can, if we were really efficient and smart, we would rely on the remaining forests to do what they are best, best and most capable of doing. And this natural technology that evolved over millions of years can help us.
1: And can we restore what was cut down and, and destroy, destroyed? Or so, is it the land is just not going to?
0: So it all depends on where. Uh, Absolutely. It's not a replanting like a monoculture. That doesn't work. The way you restore and regenerate is very different than how you would do a a plantation or how you might do somewhere else. Uh, But there is a way of doing it. And when you do it at the edges, where at the buffer zones and where you have primary forest, or even when you have secondary forest and you allow the forest to come back, it does and you create corridors for the biodiversity of, you know, fauna and flora, it actually comes back beautifully and I've seen that. Now there are some places where it won't because the soil actually turns into laterite, letterite and it basically will not, it will take, you know, I don't know, thousands to tens of thousands of years for that mm-hmm. soil to, the mineral composition to change now that the forest is gone to start again, but at some point it can. And that's where two things we should be thinking about and doing. One is protecting what we've already got, what's remaining, mm-hmm. because climate change is also creating havoc on standing primary forests, but then also creating, uh, creating opportunities to actually regenerate and restore and allowing the forest to come back places I've seen like 10 years, 20 years later, and you see the forest sort of, you know, folding out and sort of uh, taking over once again. Uh, you can always tell the difference, what's primary forest and what's secondary, but it's just still incredible.
1: And you work with communities to restore and protect those areas in rainforest. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yes. So for us, it's really, really, really important that you have to work with communities, absolutely. Rainforest and local, indigenous and local communities, they're on the front lines. Mm -hmm. They're the best stakeholders and our best partners in helping us protect these forests. Why? Because they've lived there for millennia. They know the forest in ways that we'll never understand. I could live all my life there and not understand like what's innate to somebody, that indigenous knowledge. Mm -hmm. And, and when they protect it, because they're also the, the communities and the indigenous peoples that want to do it. And when they're doing it for themselves, they're doing it for all of us. So it is in their interest and our interest that we help them. And, provide them with what they need from what we have so that we go as equals. We have knowledge and expertise and abilities, but our partner communities also have incredible amounts of knowledge and abilities. And how do we come together to do what we must do? So that's why we work for us. Everything starts at the community level.
1: Now, you mentioned communities and you mentioned indigenous people. And those are two separate entities, just like we talked about, I guess, the forest and the rainforest. Why do you make that distinguish?
0: Uh, so indigenous peoples you know you have indigenous peoples living all over the world in fact indigenous peoples around the world are responsible for between 70 and 80% of our the biodiversity on this planet they have shown themselves to be the best stewards of protecting their forests and the biodiversity it just so happens that the Tropical rainforests are also one of the most concentrated places for a lot of different indigenous peoples that have lived there. And so when I talk about indigenous peoples, um, within the peoples, they have communities as well, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so I know we, we struggle with how we share language, right? With the, the yes. peoples, you, you can be two indigenous peoples can be right next to each other and they'll have completely different language, culture, way of being. And when you are in the Amazon and you're you on the river and you'll know when you've moved from one territory to the next um, because things change. But within the indigenous people's territory, they will also have communities. A so community could be one family to, you know, hundreds of families uh, to even bigger, like, you know, almost like a town. Right. So that's why. And then when we talk about local communities, they're often not always there, you know, people that have either moved to the areas in and around rainforests from other areas. They may be indigenous, but just not to the rainforest. But then also they can be indigenous. They've just not been recognized.
1: And what do you expect to achieve through the work with them?
0: Protection of the forest. And really, it's more than just protection of the forest, right? It's protection of the forest, but also uh, protection. So conserving tropical rainforests, but also the culture and indigenous wisdom, because that is what we're going to have to rely on to help us into the future.
1: So I must ask you, though, one thing. you You say protection of the forest, but listening to you, I'm thinking those indigenous communities most likely are already protecting the forest and the stress is not coming from them. That's
0: completely so. true. So the the reason, so it's the choices we're making. Absolutely, the choices we're making is, and foisting on them. So when we drink coffee or cacao, when we consume the petroleum products And oil, whether it's for cooling our homes or heating our homes or the cars we drive or, Mm -hmm. you know, the shoes and umbrellas or whatever that's made of plastic clothes now. Right. It's our drive, our current economic models that is creating the imbalance and the need that people find to take out forests and start going into these lands. It's an economic issue, and how do we empower the communities so that they can actually be empowered on their own terms to be able to do what they want to do? Now, Indigenous peoples and Indigenous communities are not a monolith, right? Because as Mm -hmm. I just said, they're very diverse. Of course, they... any mom in the middle of the jungle, I sometimes think you—you you mentioned how I went to a boarding school. You know, even in the deep Amazon, moms in the forest still want their kids to be educated. They want what's good for their kids. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about it, it is just pretty incredible that that is something that is uh, important to these moms just as it is to me and so what do they do if they don't have a choice if they don't have an income if to the extent that their kids they're living at the edge of our western civilization and they need access to um some basic things health education um medicines because you know we are these communities are at the edge of our western civilization right Right. So, um, yeah, if we left our indigenous peoples and communities on their own, <laughs> um, but also provided them, so this is a philosophical question. Why are mm-hmm. we asking them to adapt to our way of living? I mean, seriously, we should be, our lives depend on them succeeding, protecting their forests. And I say this to them when I'm in meetings, that we should be supporting you in doing what you're doing. Why is the burden just on our, you know, partner Indigenous communities to go protect something that's not just for themselves, but for all of us? I mean, seriously, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, And why are we asking them to adapt to our Western way of living and being and sort of um uh contort themselves to become part of our global economy i'll I'll give you an example Mm -hmm. you know there are people who will say oh we love working with a community we have worked with them on ceramics or handicrafts and there are some unique ways of doing this and it's Mm -hmm. like oh these communities don't understand you know we need things in quality and quantity of a certain kind And then what happens? It's like, okay, we're gonna take your indigenous knowledge, your expertise in uh, crafting something that's beautiful, could be museum quality, and then we're gonna sell it. But oh, in a year, um, we've moved on because our tastes moved on. And now you're on your own after a year. It's like, you have to figure out how you're gonna do this on your own. But you are living in the middle of the jungle. You are not part of a global economy. And why are we asking that? Now that's at the simplest level, right? Yeah. And and when you talk about uh, you know taking out of forests and then saying, oh, we'll give you jobs and we'll give you jobs taking extracting oil in every community that's been affected. All they've seen is devastation after. So a few people had a lot of money for a while. The money came and went, and then the forest could not sustain them anymore. So a forest, that's their pharmacy and their, you know, supermarket, your food and Mm -hmm. traditional medicine. And, you know, you cannot support yourself anymore because your waters are poisoned, your forests have been deforested, you know, destroyed.
1: And then what do they do when that comes to that point? Do they leave or they try to find a different section in the forest?
0: So that happens, or a lot of folks move to the cities, which is, you know, it depends on your point of view, right? For a right. lot of people. it is like, oh we're we're this whole idea about civilizing, giving opportunities. I mean you hear that all the time. It's like, have you asked the folks what they want? and and you know things are very different now. I mean, young people in these indigenous communities, they have satellite ac- access to internet sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There, if you go to a school, they will have similar, I mean, not to the same level, but you will have, you know, books and pens and learnings that you will find in a school somewhere else. Right. Yeah, this is it's all not easy, but... Yes. Really, it's like, how do we partner? How do we really see our partner communities? How do we see indigenous peoples as the true stewards of, of tropical rainforests and help them protect them?
1: Seems like you spent a lot of time with them, and I'm just curious on what values did you learn from them that you feel like you can share and and bring to the Western world people to think of that global economy and...
0: Values of community. You know, there are folks who will say that we are the forest. They're part of that ecosystem. And they see it and know it. They understand their connection to nature. You know, if you think about... So 3% of us globally Mm -hmm. live in... I mean, we who live in cities... We cities make up three percent of the surface area of the planet, and you know fifty five percent of us now live in um, in cities, and um, it's going to be by twenty fifty it'll be seventy percent of us. Mm-hmm. But we need these these forests to thrive, and the people who are living on the other three percent, and you know protecting the three percent we need to understand how they're connected with nature what does it do when your life and your being is so connected that you see the effects that your actions have on your surroundings we're very very disconnected right mm-hmm. um it gets really hot um, you turn on the air conditioning and you disappear if it rains you know you deal with it and we don't ask um, but if we started paying attention it's a feedback loop right Yeah, nature is sending us a message it's sort of screaming at us in a way but we're so removed that we don't see the warning signs and so you know could we be better tuned in to what's really happening Can we
1: be tuned in if we're not in the forest? If we're in our concrete jungles?
0: We can, because, you know, I look at my garden, which is very biodiverse. Mm -hmm. Um, It's an urban garden, right? I live in Austin, Texas. And, you know, I have probably a few hundred species of plants Uh, in... in, a uh, 10,000-square-foot lot in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what does it attract? I watch the birds it brings. I watch the butterflies it brings, the beetles, and, you know, all sorts of creatures that it brings. I can watch. And what my garden does is very different from the next-door person's, which is just lawn. It's monoculture, right? Right. And... What does it do? You know, we have more shades of, a human eye evolved to see more shades of green than any other color. Mm -hmm. know that? Yeah, yeah. So think about it, right? There's a reason. It's, you know, we can connect. Find a tree. Find a little garden. Find the botanical garden. Find, you know, um, uh, create a little patch and then just observe and watch. And we start watching the natural world. You know, the one thing that I would like us to do is how do we find the way where standing forests and their economic value through products, services, innovations, and much more that come out of standing forests far outweigh the destructive forces that would cut these forests, that, that, you know, um, destroy the forests because it's thinking and looking at it differently how do we ask our partner communities how do we ask the indigenous people who are living in the forest you know, how would we solve something how do we how do we see nature for the innovations it can provide uh, it's fascinating to be in the forest I mean, seriously I would say because I spend time in the forest and I always look, I have found also creatures in my own garden and behaviors that I had not observed before. It's around us. How do we see, you know, innovation can come in so many different ways. And so this natural technology that is our tropical rainforests that evolved and plants and trees themselves that evolved over millions of years, you know, how can it inform us?
1: Yeah. So I I would s- say by just listening to you and your experience that you witnessed it firsthand. So it seems like you, and correct me if I'm wrong, right? But it seems like you incorporate that biodiversity in every aspect of your life from the work that you do to interesting enough, how you grew up and uh, even your garden and your home, yet not everybody has that privilege. So for you, for example, if I'm thinking you mentioned the umbrella or plastic or cloth, you will not go and and purchase more and you will not push the forest um, towards its boundaries, but appreciate it. Now, we're not all like that. So what First of all, what can we do to change it? If there is one thing that you say, this is the most important thing, how can, I mean, what is it, that advice that you say, okay, I cannot control the rainforest. I can't get on a plane and be there all the time. I would love to meet those indigenous people and and appreciate and get everything that you're sharing, but I can't, right? So I'm detached. I can turn on the AC. I can uh, turn on the heat. Yet... I will pollute, I will push the boundaries for that rainforest. How do we break that cycle?
0: So, you know, as human beings, more and more of us want to connect to nature. More and more of us um, are looking for spirituality. We're looking for meaning and purpose in life. And I'm, you know, this is our 15th year. And I've been watching that happen. You know, whether I have been at the climate conferences at the various COP, in Glasgow or in Davos, um, all sorts of events that were, you know, parallel to the World Economic Forum, and the conversations I'm hearing are completely different. And so then what what I am beginning to understand is, and and countries are recognizing why forests are important. There was a global leaders uh, declaration that came out of Glasgow, the, the climate conference COP26, you know, 141 countries making that pledge, but nobody has a path, right? So the kind of thing you're asking is like, everybody's detached. You can make this, you people learn about rainforests, but we're detached. And so we have to go where people are. You know, it only takes a small fraction of us to change behavior, to bring knowledge. So several things, how do we increase the baseline knowledge for Mm -hmm. why rain, what are rainforests and why they matter? If you go to school, all of us learn about them, right, in school at some point. So we have an idea. The second is, how do we use sights and sounds and music to connect people to the forest? And so those are some of the things we've begun to do, because how do you make it real? Not everybody can go. So we have films for the forest, and we've had that since 2010, and so people... Um, bring their stories about rainforests and just forests in general and then we stream them live which is Mm -hmm. it's a very different way of connecting Um, when the judges that actually judge these films have seen them every one of them uses very different language even though they're very different people for how it it informed them and just changed how they see the world so that's one the Mm -hmm. second is the goal is how do we get tens of millions of people to eventually hundreds of millions of people to connect through music which is a universal language mm-hmm. and take these forests and their stories and what they are and how important they are to where the people are meeting them where they are and then you know anybody that's making these um, pledges whether it's countries or companies hold them accountable to where the statements they've made. And so for that, we have Gen Z for the trees, a um, uh, uh, Gen Z, Generation Z or Z mm-hmm. focused yes. initiative. And they're looking at all the commodities and they are you know, getting ready to hold people accountable and then find ways for the indigenous people to be on the platforms where they can tell the story Because in this connected world, that's exactly what we can start doing. So whether you're sitting in Tel Aviv or New York or Delhi or Lagos or Singapore, you can tune in and listen and connect to a powerful Indigenous 20-year-old or a powerful Indigenous leader that's 60 and basically... Mm -hmm. Giving voices, connecting. And my vision in 2007 was actually this network of rainforest partners all over the world that were joining hands, <laughs> you know, supporting. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. The, you know, the. the, the yes. That's beautiful. Rainforest, yeah. So you talk about the effect. You know, that's basically it, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Can you can you give a voice? Can you share one of the stories?
0: Okay, I will tell you the highlight of my highlight, probably. Um, So in May, I went to Ecuador. It would have been in. Almost so. um, My last visit was in 2019, July August, to go to Ecuador, and then of Mm -hmm. course we went into the pandemic, and so everything was happening remotely. I'll tell, I'll share two stories actually, and it was a great trip because that was my way of connecting back and recalibrating. And I went to five of our communities, four new communities that we've been partnering with during the pandemic, and the women in those communities. Uh, with agroforestry projects, where they lost an income uh, completely, and it's like we were trying to figure out how do we how do we support them because the 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 pressures deforestation pressures increased, uh, people coming in chopping down trees and all sorts of mm-hmm. things happening, and so you know connecting with these communities was amazing, but there is a tree. The mother tree, like in the film Avatar, there are these trees that are um, above the canopy. And there is a mother tree in Sani Isla, our partner community since 2010. I visit the mother tree. You have to climb it through these stairs and go all the way up. And uh, about 10 stories, 130 feet, I think. Mm -hmm. I've slept up there on the platform twice. And when you're up there, you look down on the canopy below you, and it's hard to see two trees that are similar because that forest is that biodiverse, right? And it's just an incredible forest. And there's just forest every direction that you see. So I'm talking about it, and the community would call it the tower. And I was like, you know, five years ago, we had this discussion. They have an eco-lodge. was like, why do you call it the tower? You're saying, welcome to the tower. We're going to go to the tower. <laughs> but the tower, this metal tower, is like a ladder. That only you're, you use the ladder to get to something. Yeah. Um, you don't visit the ladder. You visit right. whatever, or you go. And I was like, you're visiting the tree. And it's the mother tree. And they said, Mama Yura. And I was like, I didn't know that the Mother Tree, they referred to Mother Tree as Mama Yura. And everybody started talking about Mama Yura at the General Assembly on the Sunday. And, And I was like, okay, how many people have gone to the Mother Tree, to Mama Yura? And most people hadn't. And I said, but all these people from around the world come to visit and spend time in Sunny Lodge which is our Sani Isla community has this community owned, operated and managed eco lodge, which is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. It's helping them protect the forest. And I was like, how many of you visited? I said, people come. And I was like, okay, our partner. So our project is with Sani Warmi, the women, women's group. And I said, what about the women in Sani, of Sani Warmi? And like three women had visited it. And so we made an agreement that everybody in sunny isla would get to visit it. So what you have to do is you have to go in a canoe and then you have to walk and then you climb mm-hmm. and, and the kids especially. Uh, so they get a sense for what, what their territory, the community owned territory that they know so well looks like when you go on top and look at it from up there from above yeah when you're like between heaven and earth that's what one of the community presidents had told me once it's like when you're up there it's like being between heaven and earth how will this now change their perspective for the women the kids and everyone else who gets to see like sani is community-owned territory you know 120,000 Acres, I think it is, Mm -hmm. their own land that they know so well that they coexist with in harmony, and it's so biodiverse. It is incredibly biodiverse. We know this because there have been biodiversity surveys done there Mm -hmm. uh, of every kind, and Yasuni, uh, which they overlap, has some of the highest, the highest counts of insects per hectare on the planet that, that have been studied. Um, and they could be other places, they just haven't been studied. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when they perceive and see it from top, what will that do? You talk about the butterfly effect, the ripple effect. Mm -hmm. I've been pondering on that. What will that do when everybody sees it and the effect that it will have on them? And in their case, it's going to be different from me because that's their land. That's their territory.
1: Now I wanted to ask you is there any myth about the rainforest that you feel it's time to debunk?
0: Any myth? Oh God, all the myths that they're scary, they're full of creatures that want to kill you, bite you. No. People have been living in the forest all these years. So many of my community members don't wear shoes, don't wear boots. Now does that mean occasionally you would if you're not careful, you could get bitten by the bullet ant, which will hurt for 24 hours. They're big or poisonous snakes. And I have stepped over the most poisonous snake uh, and was famous for three days because I did at night, actually on my way to sleep at Mama Yura. And I didn't see it because I was carrying a pillow and I had a flashlight oh that wasn't working properly. Uh, there's a whole story behind that. And... You know, we're spooked by these things. But it's our imagination that is, things are scarier because of the imagination. We think they're bugs and, you know, all sorts of creatures. I've never seen an anaconda. I've never seen a jaguar. I'd love to. Um, You know, I grew up in East Africa. I've done a lot of safaris, right, as a child. I grew up in East Africa and Tanzania. (laughs) Snakes, I used to be afraid of snakes. We've had Snakes in the garden, snakes, snake in the bathroom ones, you know, we have all these stories. I've spent time in India, you know, cobras, very poisonous. I almost stepped on a cobra once when I was 16, a baby. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, literally with dishes on my, ha- uh, in my, in my hands. Seems
1: like you have a bad luck with snakes, keep on no, stepping on the them.
0: No, I haven't <laughs> stepped, right? That's not how I'm meant to die. That is not Right. The snakes don't want to bother us. They they mind their own business. We mind ours. It's only when we're encroaching in ways that we shouldn't be, right? And I think yeah. that's what we don't understand. And these all these myths. But I also understand it's not for everybody to go to the forest. Um, uh, but, yeah, they're just beautiful, magical places,
1: so we should just embrace them, embrace their bi- biodiversity, and if we feel we are not sure, just leave it alone. Don't try to poke
0: it. Exactly. And and experience them from afar, and yeah. I'll happily share with you the forest energy. And, you know, uh, if we protect them, because they, you know, it's a matter of reciprocity. The forest's. You know, every time we take a breath, that oxygen has circulated through trees all over the world, but certainly from these tropical rainforests because just the sheer amount of trees that (laughs) exist there. And, uh, you know, when we get rain, let's thank them. If you pick up the water at the coast of California or in the UK and you pick up the water and you look, it has chemical markers from the water that came out from the Amazon River. And, you know, we live in a very connected, on a very connected planet, whether it is the air we breathe and the oxygen uh, that's been circulated by these trees, or it's the water. And trees make their own rain. Amazon makes its own rain. And so the more we understand the role they play the better off we're going to be. Because we will, when we understand how critical they are, because we take them for granted. Mm-hmm. And once we understand, we will there will be reciprocity in a very different way. Uh, and so that's what we have to do, right?
1: As the voice for the trees, what is your final message?
0: So the UN says we have, less than 10 years left to deal with a dual existential crisis of biodiversity and climate change. Mm-hmm. Tropical rainforests are absolutely the best natural solution that we have. That's one thing I want people to remember is while other technologies come into play, why do we while we shift to zero-emission technologies and electric cars and carbon-negative technologies, we absolutely must do everything we can to protect standing forests first and then start regenerating and restoring them so that our planet can continue to support humanity and everything else with us. Not everybody can. Most people have to deal with their daily lives, getting food on the table, shelter on their head, educate the kids. But there's enough of us that can say, we're ready. We hear the call of the planet. We hear the call of the forests, and we're ready. And to any of them, I invite them to be the ones we've been waiting for because we are the ones we've been waiting for.
1: Okay, so we talked about all the trees and the biodiversity, and now I'm going to try to do the exact opposite, and I'm going to ask you for one favorite tree.
0: My favorite tree is Mama Yura, because I am very connected to Mama Yura, and I can connect, it to, connect to it here when I'm sitting here, I like to place myself on the tree and connect. And here's the funny thing. If you keep this, if people listening to the podcast, when I do that, there are people who have said to me, they can hear the forest. They can see it. I mean, I've seen people go dreamy and start describing what they're seeing. I've heard people <laughs> describe the bird, the sass, bird song they're hearing, or yeah. the smell they're getting, or suddenly they're getting very warm on a cold day. So I find that really interesting. I think of that all as laws of physics. It's just laws of physics that we haven't quite understood yet.
1: I love it. Thank you so much, Nianta, for for sharing the value and love and appreciation to the rainforest with us.
0: Absolutely. I speak literally, I thank and I speak for our forests, our planet, all the people who work on protecting these forests and people who live in and around these forests. And by the way, I'm not the only one, but I'm one of them that is speaking for them because... We have to give voice to those that don't have voices now. And our very, um, our planet and everything that coexists with it, humanity and everything else that coexists with us, for it to thrive, survive and thrive, mm-hmm. we need to do that. And so, yes, thank you yes. on behalf of our forests and our planet and our partner communities and uh, everybody that works with me and around the world. Uh, Thank you.
1: Thank you. And thank you everyone for joining me today. We are all beautiful butterflies, each in his and her individual ways. I wanted to thank you for joining me today in this episode. I really appreciate you coming on this journey with me and I hope you can join me next time. And remember, it only takes a small action to make a big difference. Be a butterfly.
0: And that's all for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. Please subscribe to hear more of our stories of change.